1: This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Jesus
0: Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone.
1: To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Well, now would you turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 2 through 6. Within this section of Colossians, there will be a reminder that we need to be steadfast in prayer. And so as we pray about those specific targets and goals, as we pray about the ways that God has blessed us, we have another reminder that comes to us from the text this morning. So let's give our attention to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and let's remember that this is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45. When the confession that our congregation and our church tradition uses to help us understand the Bible turns to thinking about the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, it begins with this question. Why do Christians need to pray? And here's the answer that's given in our confession. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. And also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. Prayer, says the confession, is the most important part of the gratitude that God requires of us. And God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray and groan inwardly with gratitude. Now that's pretty intense, isn't it? Is that more intense than the scriptures give to us? Or do we see within this passage that's in front of us this morning and in others this same level of intensity in invitation to continue our commitment to prayer? Within Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6, we see that the Apostle Paul, who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has an intense desire for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to spread across the globe. And therefore, He gives a simple call to the Colossian Christians and to us. Pray regularly and live wisely for the sake of the gospel. Pray regularly and live wisely for the sake of the gospel. Two points before us this morning. Pray regularly and live wisely. And as we conclude, we're all going to be invited to take stock of our life in this regard. Let's start with pray regularly. As this command to pray regularly goes out to the Colossian Christians and to us, there are two parts of that, regular grateful prayer and regular prayer for the spread of the gospel. We'll talk about both of those. Let's start with regular grateful prayer. Here is where there is intensity. Right away at the very beginning, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This kind of language is language that could be used to describe a night watchman steadfastly and continuously and strenuously guarding the camp from enemies that would seek to destroy. This is the kind of command that expects that we will not slacken our commitment. We will not give up in this task of prayer. This is the consistent commitment to prayer that lasts a lifetime. Have you seen benefit in your own life or in the life of another that comes from prayer carried out over the long haul? Well, let me tell you a couple of testimonies. When I was in college, I had the privilege of uh, getting to know a, a ministry leader on campus at Wheaton named Brian. He had become a Christian in college. He had heard the gospel message and had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so captivated was his heart by the gospel message, had to tell his parents about it. Now, I I don't know if you have grown up just always knowing, knowing the truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, always trusting and serving in him. I don't know if you came to faith at a certain point in your life and so experienced that stark difference between what was and what is after you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen that. If you haven't personally experienced that stark difference, but for Brian, his life was totally changed. Everything became clear to him. The need for him to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that his whole life had to hang on that. And he said, when I tell my parents this, they are going to be so excited. And they're going to become Christians too. He said that he had prayed about it, how he needed to tell his parents. He decided he was going to make breakfast for them. He was going to share the gospel with them. They were going to get converted. They were going to have some coffee. And then they were going to hit the neighborhood and tell the neighborhood all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it didn't happen that way. He went home. He made breakfast for his parents. He shared the gospel with him. His mother began bawling. You joined a cult, she said. She was terrified. His dad got angry and left the room. Wouldn't speak to him the rest of the weekend. He said, did not go like I thought. We did not get together to go attack the neighborhood with the gospel. He said, man, it may be that this will require more long-term prayer. And so he said... From that day forward, I made a vow that I would pray each day that my parents would come to know and trust in Jesus. And so I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And years passed, and nothing happened. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. He said, then, one day as my parents were getting older, my mom called me and said that there was a, a local church in her area that had this Bible study fellowship that she decided she was going to go to. And so she went to it. And he's like, yeah, mom, pay attention. Pay attention to what you're reading and studying there. And, and, and so she studied. And, and he said that about a year later, she called and she said, Brian, I'm a Christian. I've come to trust in Jesus. And he's like, great. You can join my daily prayers now for dad. And so he and his mom prayed and prayed and prayed that his father that her husband would come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His dad became ill and was in the hospital. And Brian said, I knew at that point I was trying to be as careful as possible. But I knew at that point I just had to go for broke with my dad. I went to his bedside and I read to him from Revelation 4 and 5 about the heavenly throng that stood before the Lord Jesus Christ and the one who sits on the throne. I said, Dad, you're going to die and you're going to meet God. You need to trust in his son. And he said that his dad nodded and he held his dad's hand and he became a Christian. It's beautiful, steadfast prayer over the course of a lifetime. I' going to tell you one more story. My own grandmother this will prove to you how Dutch I am. Johanna Fladingerbrock, my own grandmother. <laughs> it means "flared pants in Dutch." I don't know why that was the last name, but that's my great-grandmother's last name, Johanna Fladingerbrook. She became Johanna Berksma. She came to the United States. She's from a wealthy family in the Netherlands. She immigrated. Actually, she immigrated to Canada. They were taking more immigrants at that particular time. So she came, landed in Toronto. She was meeting a man that she was engaged to be married to. They were going to be married. They were going to begin their life together in Canada. When she got off the boat, he was nowhere to be found. And she could not reach him. She never spoke to him again. He just totally ghosted her. That was really intense ghosting that happened in the early 1900s. The ghosting that you sometimes experience on, uh, on like, texting does not compare to your fiancé not showing up when you have moved to a new country for him. She didn't speak English, and so she didn't know what to do. She was not a Christian. There was a Dutch-speaking Christian Reformed church that enfolded my great-grandmother, Johanna. They uh, found her a job as a janitor, and she started doing work there and going to the church. Through that experience, she became a Christian. She met a young man in that congregation, Jan Bergsma. They were married and they moved to Racine, Wisconsin, which is probably why I'm a Wisconsin boy myself. In God's good providence, this is how I became a good Wisconsin boy. And from the time that she was converted, in her early 20s, she prayed that her sisters would trust in Jesus. She prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And she raised her own children to know and trust the Lord. And my grandfather went to seminary to study, to be a minister. And he was theologically educated. He got his PhD. He was serving within the Christian Reformed Church. And he went home and he said his mother, who was in her 70s at this point, said, Dirk, you are a theologian. You are educated. Why has God not said yes to my prayers? I've been praying for 50 years. That my sister would come to know Jesus. And he has said no the whole time. And my grandpa said he wasn't sure how to answer. But in God's providence, this sister had planned a trip to Racine, Wisconsin for about a month. She came across and lived with my great-grandparents for a month. And in that month, Johanna Flardingerbrook shared the gospel with her sister. And she believed She came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in that one month trip to Wisconsin and then went back home to the Netherlands. And then my grandpa told me that uh, great-grandma Johanna said, Dirk, I feel a little ill. I'm a little sick. I'm going to lay down. And she laid down and died. Having just seen the fruit of 50 years of prayer continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't think that because it hasn't happened in one day or one week or one year or one decade that God is not listening. God is listening. God hears every prayer that is offered up every time that we pray it. There's not been a single time where a Christian is offered up, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done, that God has not heard it. He's waiting for the time when the amount of prayers will reach its appointed conclusion and the Lord Jesus will return. But just because we have not yet seen it does not mean that he's not here, does not mean that he's not acting. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't stop.
0: Today's message in our Jesus Above Everything series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com And click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life.
1: You see how this has been a theme that Paul has, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, woven throughout the book of Colossians? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. This is one of the great themes of the book of Colossians, gratitude and thanksgiving. And here it shows up again that as we pray, as we are steadfast in prayer, as we are vigilant in prayer and watchful in it, one of the things that should characterize our prayer is gratitude, is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is coming up this week. And Thanksgiving is a reminder to us that we are supposed to be thankful all year long. Not just at at Thanksgiving time. Not just on Thursday of this week. Not just one day a year to set aside. All year long we're called to gratitude. Now, if we did an audit of our prayers. If we were to break down the amount of time that we spent in various parts of prayer. How much would be expressions of gratitude in Thanksgiving? And how much would be asking for stuff? Even good things. I think that sometimes we can be nervous to ask that question because, you're like, oh my goodness, if gratitude is supposed to characterize my prayers, I might not want to admit what percentage of time my prayers might be taken up with gratitude. But it's important to look at it, to audit it. How much of your prayer time is in expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving? I'll just leave it at that, and then we'll move on to the next part. You can do the work of considering that in your own mind and in your own heart and in your own prayer life. But after telling them what should characterize their prayer, it should be steadfast, watchful, and filled with gratitude. He asks them to pray for the spread of the gospel. And here, Paul is in chains, and yet he does not ask them to pray that he might get out of prison. If it had been me writing to them, I think I might have asked that they would pray that I would get out of prison. But Paul doesn't do that at all. He does not do that at all. Take a look at what he says. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. My goodness. He's in prison and he doesn't ask that he might be let out of it, that he might be declared innocent, that the, that the system might be reformed so that those gospel preachers might be let out. Instead, he's like, here I am in for all of this, in chains for all of this. And what I want is just more doors to open up so that people might hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he asks that as he proclaims the good news of Jesus, that he might do it clearly. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Gospel clarity. Man, that's a good prayer. Hey, Colossians, as you pray for me, would you pray that I might speak the gospel, that I might have opportunity to, and that when I do it, I might be clear about it. I want prayer for the same sort of thing. You know, it's easy to get wrapped up in all manner of complications There's one author who wrote a book called I Love to Tell the Story, and and I'm just going to read to you a a part of it. He says this Someone passed the following quotation to me from a graffiti wall at St. John's University in Minnesota. Jesus said to them, Who do you say that I am? And they responded, You are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being, the charisma in which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said, what? (laughs) I think that's a good story. I like it a lot. I like it a lot because it illustrates that while theology is good and it's good for us to plumb the depths of theological realities and sometimes even use big words, that's helpful in the classroom, not so much from the pulpit. I'm not sure, I mean, God is so powerful, so he could take all of those complicated words and and make a Christian, but but the thing is, is that as, as Paul knows that it's his task to spread the gospel, he's like, hey, just help me to be clear in talking about all of it. Why clear? Because the message is so powerful. It doesn't need any complicating features dragging it down. He simply wants to declare that Jesus is God and that his life and death and resurrection is enough for you and nothing else is and nothing else will save and when you die or I die nothing else will give to us eternal life except Jesus. Our lives depend on it now and forever. It can be easy to complicate things. Lord, help us be clear. Help us to clearly focus on Jesus. The first command is to prayer. And the second one is to live wisely. It's to live wisely. This is what verse 5 says. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You see, people listen with their eyes as well as their ears. And Paul is conscious that unbelievers watch what Christians do. And the New Testament contains many cautions. Warning Christians not to do anything that would bring discredit to the gospel or confirm unbelievers' misgivings about Christianity. The gospel is an offense, you see. It's an offensive thing to hear that we can't do it on our own, but that we need Jesus from first to last. It's offensive to be told that we are sinful or that we do sinful things and that we need to repent. It is an offensive call to come and die. And so we need to make sure that the gospel is the offense and not our own lives. Christian conduct itself has a missionary function. It's not all we're called to do in evangelism, but it is a portion of it. Walk in wisdom, act wisely. Making the best use of time is the way that that sentence is finished. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of time, the way that the language is, is like buying the time, buying back the time. It implies that believers need to capitalize on every chance to use every moment to the fullest. Do we put off what should be done now? Do we sometimes think that others will do it? Do we give to our missionaries... And think our task is complete? Do we care more about our own financial situation or comfort than the eternal destiny of our neighbors? You ultimately can't outsource your evangelism, and you cannot decide that you are going to give to other people who manage their life a little bit better than you do. We have to buy up the time. It's an invitation to be wise. Life is so short. And if we're not wise in the way that we structure our lives and our time, we will find that we just have simply lost it or we'll find that we've wasted it. There's a song by a band that I love. They might be giants. It's called, uh, older and it's just, you're older than you've ever been. And now you're even older and now you're even older and now you're even older. You're older than you've ever been. And now you're even older and now you're older still. That's the whole first verse. It's, um, I was watching a documentary about them, and they're like, man, what a morbid little band. The point of that song is basically like, you're going to die. And people don't like that reminder, but the reality is all of us have lives that are term-limited. None of us knows how long that's going to be. But at a certain point, our heart will beat for the last time. And for those of us that are in the Lord Jesus, that are Christians, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And we will experience a life everlasting in the presence of God. But the fact that life is so brief should remind us that we are invited to make wise use of all of our time. If we don't steward our time right, we will waste it. We will lose it. We will find that we never have enough of it. And so part of wisdom towards outsiders for the sake of the gospel is is recognizing my life is limited and time is going by quicker than I would like to imagine. My, I need to use it right. And then, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer each person. So that your speech might be seasoned with salt. Now, what could that mean? Well, I'm gonna tell you right now that salt makes food delicious. Have you ever tried to be on a low-salt diet? I'm not a doctor, but I don't recommend it. It may be that it's required for your own state of health. But, you know, if you try to eat a dish with no salt and a dish with salt, I'm going to go with the salty one. One time I went to McDonald's, they forgot to salt the fries. Oh, my goodness. I've never been angrier in a McDonald's in my life. Because this, like, treat of a food became surprisingly bland and not really that much less healthy, unhealthy, less unhealthy. Salt makes food delicious. It's the reason that we use it as like the most common seasoning in all of our cooking. If you throw something on the grill, if you just put some salt on it, it's going to bring out the flavor. It's going to be delicious. And so here's the command. Don't be bland in the way that you talk to other people. If you are a person that is that just is like boring or bland... It's not a wise way to act towards outsiders. It's not not a wise way to invite people into the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. We, you and I who are in Christ, we're called to live, genuinely live, the kind of flavorful life that's attractive to those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the words that we speak should have like, an enjoyable sense to all of them that, that characterizes our, our Christian trust in the Lord Jesus. We're, we're not called to, to bland, kind of vanilla statements. We're called to a life that is full and rich and complete and seasoned with salt. So it's delicious, you know, metaphorically. But here's, here's what has been a saying that has, has worked its way out through Christian history. There was a, a, a saint, St. Irenaeus, a bishop in the early church. He said, the glory of God is a human being that's fully alive. And I think that's important for all of us to recognize. It is good for us to be solemn and somber at times. But it's also important that we be clearly joyful.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema in our series, Jesus Above Everything, where we're examining how Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook answering seven hard questions that Christians ask.
1: Again, that's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon
0: Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.